Mark and choir, I, I blame you. One of the fundamental principles of speaking in public is that for the 30 minutes before you stand, no tear should come to your eye and no throat should be choked with emotion, so I blame you. <laughs> I invite each of you to open your Bibles and locate the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. We're going to read through the end of that chapter. The text, by the way, is found on page 998 in your Pew Bibles. This is the second message now in a series called Plant Church. Repeat. So now if you are able, would you please join me in standing in honor of the giver of this scripture. Hear God's word. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their words. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father, thank you for preserving this living word through the millennia that we might today be those who are encountered by your spirit in the midst of this declaration. Give us now eyes beyond our physical eyes to see the light that you provide in and through the scriptures for your glory and for our blessing and for the building of the church of Jesus the Christ, whom to know is life eternal. Amen. You may be seated. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it matter? These are decent questions to ask when encountering any written material. I think it's wise that we also check the source and perhaps even the intent of the author. But these questions are going to serve us very, very well this morning as we come to the book of Titus. 
And as we do ask these questions and look for God's help, we can expect to understand something more about the heart and the mind and the will of God pertaining to his church and his preparing of those who are to lead it. Now I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. For those of you who like brief messages about where we're going, I'm not going to give you the whole map of where we're going, more or less just a marker saying we're going this way. In 30 seconds, here's where we're going. What does it say? Elders, kneel down, step up, lead with integrity. Congregation, kneel down, step up, serve with integrity. What does it mean? Leaders, humbly be responsible to God and this congregation. Congregation, boldly support worthy men and mission. What does it matter? The salvation of the lost in the community nearby and the vitality of this fellowship for years to come. After verse 5 divulges the motive and the nature of the ministry that Pastor Titus was to engage on the island there, which we spoke of two weeks ago, the following verses divide into two sections which stand in tremendous contradiction to one another. Verses 6 through 9 and verses 10 through 16. In the first, God reveals the positive traits and character and nature of the elders that he's pleased to have lead his church. In the second portion, God exposes the negative traits, beliefs, and behaviors of those who must never ascend to leadership. Here we encounter what qualifies and, contrarily, what disqualifies someone from becoming and continuing as an officer in the church, which bears the name of our Savior Jesus. And although we will not proceed exactly in this order, let's enter God's story to look at both sides of this character coin. Verses 6 through 9, a lover of good. Verses 10 through 16, a lover of self. A lover of good, that's the right stuff. A lover of self, that's the wrong man. And yes, I said man. Let's deal with gender right now. You did not invite me here to espouse my personal opinions on public debates, and I will not. I will, however, gladly tell you about the very nature of the grammatical details of the words that are actually here in the text. For example, elders in verse 5. Part of speech, adjective. Case, accusative. Number, plural. Gender, masculine. Husband and man in verse 6. Noun, nominative. Singular, masculine. Husband, I'm sorry, uh, overseer and steward in verse 7. Noun, accusative. Singular, masculine. God in the same verse. Noun, genitive. Singular. Masculine. The text goes on to employ the masculine repeatedly here. It's just the way it is. And it is exactly what the original language meant to imply. And since taking God at his word is always an act of faith, for anyone needing a further discussion about this, 
I suggest you speak to the writer and the author directly. I did. Beginning with the latter section then, we find out who is not elder, not leader material for the Church of Christ. Now, when studying a potential employee's resume, would you be quick to offer a position to someone who listed as their attributes insubordinate, empty talker, deceiver, greedy, false teacher, evil, lazy liar, beastly glutton, defiled, impure, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work? Um, no. And I sincerely hope that None of you entrepreneurs and HR people are silently saying to yourself now, yep, did that once. (laughs) It was probably your cousin, wasn't it? (laughs) The inhabitants of Crete were characterized by these traits and these behaviors. And even one of their own citizens spoke of his fellow Cretans in these very terms. And I got to say, unflattering doesn't even begin to describe this list, this Horrible, horrible list. I have another question for you. If you were looking for a location to plant and prosper a church way back in the day, would you have chosen Crete? Again, no. But Titus didn't choose on his own. He didn't even choose in his own best behalf. He was commissioned by God to do a hard task among a difficult people. And he said, yes. Now from this two-time church planter, respect. That the gospel took root in Crete and prospered at all is proof that it was purely a counter-cultural church. And based on this This menu for mayhem, there was a lot of culture to counteract. Lovers of self are disqualified from church leadership because their actions and their attitudes aren't just different from those of Christ. They're the exact opposite. What does the Bible say? What does it mean? And what does it matter? Well, here we have the two sides of character from these verses and from the Jesus that we know. Verse 10, insubordinate, empty-talking liars. These are persons who fail to acknowledge or submit to any authority, who speak of small and unimportant things, who lie for convenience and without remorse. Conversely, Jesus possesses and wields all holy authority. God communicates the grandest ideas, And he is the very pure truth. Verse 11. Careless to lead families astray. Teaching what is false. Greedy. These are persons who do not consider or care about their impact on others. Who knowingly proclaim what is untrue as if it were true. And who seek only their own good. Jesus is the loving shepherd. He always taught truth from the Father. He emptied himself for the benefit of others. Verse 12. 
evil, lazy gluttons. These are persons who flee what is right. They invest no energy in doing what is good and who are stomachs just looking for comfort. Jesus taught and embodied that righteousness. God's spirit is active always to lead only into holiness. And the Lord humbled himself in order to face harsh treatment. Verse 15. Defiled, unbelieving, impure minds and consciences. Persons who are corrupt in their character. Who will not accept any truth beyond their own. And who have no moral compass or compassion. Jesus was without sin. He knew the Father and trusted him in all things. And the Lord lived and served for the sake of others with a clear mind and a perfectly clear conscience. Verse 16. Deniers of God, detestable, disobedient, unfit for anything good. Do I even need to comment on this verse? Imagine. People like that were the target audience for the gospel on the island of Crete. And you thought your neighbors were wacky. An entire nation of people unfit for anything good. Really? Paul must have known them very, very well and was offering Titus an exit ramp. Or God saw their absolute desperate need and wanted his minister to go in eyes wide open and skin extra thick. I think probably both. Their own words and actions disqualify lovers of self, but it doesn't stop there. In every generation and everywhere that gospel congregations exist, like here, it is the people who gather who must protect the church from the threats posed by lovers of self and unchristlike people. We must never affirm the unqualified. Rather, we are to create such an environment of love and grace and nurture in a place like this, it becomes an incubator for men who will be strong of character and who will be qualified. And who are they? That's verses six through nine. Lovers of good. The passage begins with these words. If anyone is above reproach. I think it might have been up in the air whether or not our good pastor was actually going to succeed in his mission on that island. Where would he find people to appoint as elders? Thankfully, the rest of the scripture, which speaks about him, Galatians and 2 Corinthians, tells us that he did, in fact, complete his island mission, and he did go on to engage some other very important kingdom adventures, most of them at the behest of the Apostle Paul. But who did he look for, and who did he find on the island of Crete all those years ago? Verse 6, above reproach, monogamous, good parent. Persons who are blameless against everything but false accusations. Who are faithful husbands of one wife. And who, if a parent, 
have children who believe and are not scandalous. It's, it's indicating that these are men who, who, like in the Greek says, you can't take a hold of them. There's no handle to pull them down. They don't make it easy. They ought not be pulled down. Verse 7. Not arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, or greedy. This is a person who's not self-pleasing or superior in their attitude, in their words, in their relationships. They're not given to outbursts of wrath because there's this anger burning just below the surface, ready to be scratched in an instant. And they're not reliant upon alcohol or any other substance. And they're not in it for gain. Verse 8, hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. These are persons who are lovers of strangers. They meet others where they are and assist them to where they're going. These are ones who love virtue who know and pursue what is good and what is helpful, who can keep their cool, and who are not burdened by guilt or foolishness. They're the ones who are set apart by God and gifted for his calling, and who are careful to feed their own minds and bodies and spirits appropriately and regularly. Verse 9, Bible believer, teacher of sound doctrine, confronter of what's false. Persons who esteem and actually embody the scriptures, who are able and willing to instruct others in the ways of God and also are willing to call others to forsake all untruth. Titus sought, he found, He affirmed and he appointed these men centuries ago. We ought to do nothing else today. Clearly, one who aspires to be this kind of a person, even more so a leader among peers, must be very steadfast and absolutely intentional. These traits don't just happen. Think of someone that you know who is worthy of this kind of esteem. Did they simply wake up one day and voila, people of character? Or did they do the work? Did they put in the time? Did they study the scriptures to become deserving of trust and admiration? That sounds right. Yesterday I was privileged to be among many who sat at a spring recital for a senior graduating from high school. She was a keyboardist and she was able, this 18-year-old girl was able to use the piano and the organ to give a voice through music to my heart. I wept several times. I was not alone. 
Did she just show up that day, sit at a keyboard and go, hey, I think I'll do this? No. Abigail put in the time. She studied under people who knew more than her and was humble enough to learn from them. Starting at age five, she did her chopsticks and learned a few ditties. And I don't know how many hundreds, probably thousands of hours, she was a student at the side of someone experienced. And then she practiced on her own and honed a craft, a gift that God had given. And it flourished into life yesterday for everyone who heard. Oh, she took a bow every now and then. But it was so humbly as if to give God all the glory. That kind of investment of effort. Granted, a gift given, but that effort to hone your skills was so appreciated. And that's what we look for in leaders, isn't it? Shouldn't our leaders be people that we want to emulate, to be like? Aren't they to be the ones that we want to be with? I think so. The very final time that... uh, that the Apostle Paul gathered his beloved Ephesian elders, those whom he'd served and trained for over three years, he, uh, he spoke to them a, a very full-hearted blessing. He was overflowing with gratitude to God for them and, and through them to that needy community. But he also issued a very stern caution aimed directly at the hearts and spirits of those very leaders. In Acts 20 and verse 28, it says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men speaking twisted things. Leaders in Christ Church, you have a very, very high calling. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Live and strive worthy of the blood of Jesus. I would ask myself and others, honestly, is is what I'm living for what Christ died for? I come up short. Now here's a warning. This is an opinion of mine. And I've held it for decades. And I am not alone in this. Courage, I believe, is not crafted in difficult times. Rather, it is revealed. Character is not not forged in a moment. It's forged daily, in good times, in hard times, in plenty and in want. It's crafted by consistently having attitudes and actions that build us from within, those aspirations that call us higher. Each of us erects our own inner self, don't we? And over time, the things that we see, the words that we read, the conversations we engage 
and the choices we make regarding money and time and morality, they all come together to eventually create who we really are. And every one of us knows, absolutely, that what's inside will come out, always. Proverbs 27, 19, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of a man reflects the man. Based on the culture alone, 2,000 years ago, it was highly unlikely that the message of Jesus would ever bear any fruit on that island. Ever. That's why Mission Improbable is the title of our message today. There are places in our world today, modern world, which appear to be equally resistant to the gospel. Some of them are nearby. The truth is, however, that with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. All things that God desires through his people in our communities is possible. Hallelujah. I know because the scripture says so. I also know another way. 47 years ago, it was highly unlikely that I would ever trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That happened. (laughs) Much to the surprise of my high school classmates, I might add. Prior to our, our 15th reunion, an organizing committee of classmates sent out a questionnaire to all of us asking for current name, uh, location, occupation. So dutifully, I, I sent mine back. Several months later, my wife Carol and I showed up at that nice country club, and as we looked around at the finely set tables, at each of the place settings, there was a hand-done, like calligraphy, placard with everyone's name and their occupation below it. Everyone except mine. It's true. Later, I learned why. When I responded, and it was pure truth, seminary student, everybody on the organizing committee thought it was a sick joke, and they weren't going to publish that. (laughs) Several laughingly told me later, you and God, no way. Yes way. God did it, not me. Hallelujah, I'm so grateful for that. It might be helpful to you know, for you to know too that the chairman of that committee was my former girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> purely coincidence, I'm sure. So improbable or not, the church was planted in my heart and on that island, despite all the, the seemingly insurmountable difficulties. Is it being planted and replanted today in the Midlands of South Carolina, in the Lake Murray area? Yes. God is equipping and calling Christ followers right now 
to accept the hard task of reaching a difficult community, ours. For just such a time as this, I am absolutely persuaded that the members and leaders of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church are aware of what's at stake and like our first century friend, are willing to say, yes, I accept this mission. There are some Tituses in our midst. I'm sure of it. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it matter? Leaders, humbly pray for the flock under your care. Model the life of Christ before them. Serve them selflessly. Equip them. Walk with them in joy and in in sorrow. Put yourself in their shoes and be quick to seek and to grant their forgiveness even as you have been forgiven. Be patient with them. Their lives are a work in progress. Gather with them at Christ's table. Lead them into worship expectantly. Listen. Because those are the ones who actually affirmed your call to your position in the first place. And remember, you are sheep too. Oh, there's more. Congregation, humbly pray for your leaders. Encourage them in their calling. Be eager to assist them in their work and speak of them with the honor due them as shepherds of your soul. Correct them with kindness. Put yourself in their shoes. Be quick to seek and to grant their forgiveness even as you have been forgiven in Christ. Be patient with them. Their lives are a work in progress. Gather with them at Christ's table. Worship with them expectantly. Remember, they are sheep too. You need not quote me on this, but I think as sheep, we're called to be cuddly. I don't really have a scripture for that, but um, I think every congregation is like a sheepfold, isn't it? And we're, we're all those who share the one true shepherd who delights when we walk in his spirit. The spirit of unity and the bond of peace, it thrills God's heart and soul. Ours too, right? During the days ahead, opportunities to bless and to be blessed will be numerous in this congregation. Walk in them. Not wearing any title except that of sister or brother in Christ. The Father will notice. He always does. Pray with me. State upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace 
and rest. Oh Lord, we've heard what it is that you want to see reflected in your children, especially those who would aspire to leadership. We've heard of nature and character and choices and behavior and beliefs and we want to subject them all now to your gaze and only follow in your steps as men, women, children of all age and stripe, as those who look like Jesus to you. In order to do that, Lord, we must be born again. There is no other way. And what does that mean? And what does it matter? Fact is, God created everything and he made it good in the beginning. His stamp of approval was on all of creation. And our first parents rebelled against that wisdom and paradise. And sin came into the world and death through sin and we have inherited spirits that are not alive even though our bodies prosper. The good news is that into that environment, that lostness because of sin and rebellion, Jesus himself left all of the privileges of heaven, the fellowship of the Father and the Spirit, perfectly attuned. He left it behind and became human and was willing to submit himself to live under the law and to do so without sin. He's the only one then who could be the only mediator between God and man the perfect man, Christ Jesus. And what he did was deal with both of the problems that are universal to every human being, and that is sin and death are always crouching at our door. He overcame sin when on the cross. He actually took our sin upon him as the only one worthy to pay the full price. And he relieved us of that guilt and burden and the devastation of separation from you. And we know it's true because when he was resurrected from that tomb, he overcame death and proves that he now has ability to freely dispense it to us by grace and through faith. And that is the best news of all. You, Father, only require that we as your children trust in Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. We get to look back at what you've already done. Oh, I pray that there are some hearing my voice, maybe in this room, maybe streaming on the internet, maybe 100 years from now listening to a recording. Would you humble yourself and pray and receive Jesus as Savior? It's so simple. Oh, God, forgive me, a sinner. Give me eternal life. Thank you. And Jesus will say, it is finished. Oh God, thank you for speaking truth in love, without fail, for us. We humble ourselves now and ask for your blessing. Oh, I know you're more willing to give than we are to receive. But I pray that in the days ahead, we would be not only confident in our salvation, but that we would be lights in a dark community around us that others may know Jesus, whom to know is life eternal, and in whose name we now pray. Amen.